Good morning, everyone. Okay, I want to start. Um, I want to start this morning just by bringing up the the idea, the concept of renewal. So just just think for a second. Um, what comes to mind? You don't need to answer verbally or whatever, but just for a second, what comes to mind when I just say the word renewal, without overthinking it? Just what what comes to mind for you? Energy. There you go. That's exactly where I'm going with this. So thank you. <laughs> uh, it's okay if that didn't come up for you. That wasn't a wrong answer. Um, but for me, when I think about renewal, when I try to, de- when I try to define a concept like this, um, sometimes it helps me to think about the opposite of it, actually. And so when I think about the opposite of renewal, in my life, the opposite of renewal is depletion, being emptied out, um, total lack of energy. So there have been times for me, and I'm guessing probably everyone here knows this feeling, there's been times when like, I know... There are things I need to do, things I should do. <laughs> um, even things I would, norm, under normal circumstances, look forward to doing. And I just simply feel depleted. Like, I just feel like I can't do it. I can't move myself to do it, right? Like, I can't engage. Um, I just feel emptied out. Nothing to give to it. That, for me, starts to get at the opposite. When I think about the opposite of renewal, that kind of gets at what I think about. Um, but on the other, on the, the flip side of that, right, there are times when I feel a new sense of energy, a sense of newness, a sense of um, uh, anticipation, a sense of purpose, right, um, in which I'm looking forward to what's coming, what's what's I need to do, what's coming ahead. I'm looking forward to things with with a hopeful anticipation, an energetic sense. That for me, again, different people have different personalities and different wiring, so I'm not trying to say this is universal. But for me. Um, when I think about the concept of renewal, that's kind of what I think about, or what my mind goes towards, or those times in which I feel like a new uh, outpouring of energy, of, of hope, um, of anticipation. I've experienced, as probably everyone here has, I've experienced both. I've experienced long seasons of emptiness, of depletion. Um, uh, there's a um, Benedict, uh, St. Benedict used the term uh, desolation. That's another helpful term. For that, I've experienced seasons of emptiness. I've experienced seasons of renewal. Um, and I probably will continue to. We probably all will continue to experience both seasons of emptiness and seasons of renewal. So what we're going to do, the reason I'm starting here is, um, well, a couple reasons. Um, it's been said so many times in different sermons, so I'm not going to belabor this. But we just, we have been through a season of a lot of change, our, specifically as a church, this community. We've just been through a lot over the past year and a half. Um, even, even aside from the pandemic, we've experienced a lot. Uh, a lot of change. We've experienced a lot, some loss. Um, experienced a lot of upheaval, a lot of disorientation. Um, it's been hard. Um, I can say for me, it's been hard. I know, I know enough people in this room individually that I've had a lot of conversations with many of you. I know that for many of you, it's also been hard, difficult. Um, but if I can say it this way, something that's been good, if I can say it's something that's been good about this season of difficulty for me has been that it's brought this idea of renewal back to the surface for me in a way that it ha- I haven't experienced probably ever. I, I am, I'm in a place, personally, where I am longing for true spiritual deep renewal in a way that I don't know if I've ever longed for it previously, if that makes sense, because of what has happened culturally, specifically with even just the change we've been through. I'm just longing for renewal um, in a way that I don't think I can remember pre pre COVID, um, and that longing. I think that longing is a good thing. <laughs> uh, I think that longing is actually from God. 
Um, and I'm, not, I'm longing for it for myself individually. I want to be a renewed person individually. I want to live in, in, in deep peace and deep confidence in who I know I am in God. Um, I want to live out of that. And I also long for it communally. Like, man, I want, I long, and I, I can speak for the pastors on this too. Like the pastors, the leadership, um, we long for us to be a renewed community in that sense, to experience a deep renewal together. Man, I, when I think about that, when I imagine that, um, that just gives me a lot of, well, a lot of longing, a lot of hope to, to be that, to experience, to go through our sense. We've gone through a lot of change, and to imagine going through a sense of renewal together, to go through a season of that, that um, it's really, really actually exciting for me to think about. Um, and it's a long, long wind-up, long intro. Um, I do believe as a person of faith, and this is so simple, right? This is almost like feels too simple to say, but I just feel like I need to say it. I believe that the type of renewal I'm alluding to, the type of renewal I'm talking about, the type of renewal I'm longing for, that we're longing for, hopefully, that can only come from God. That's something we don't stop to really think about. We all want renewal, I think, in our own ways. I think everyone in our culture wants renewal. But where does it actually come from? Where can it actually come from? I think it can really only come from God. Um, that, that, that's at the risk of being Christian-y jargon cliche. I really believe that. Um, so the type of renewal I'm longing for can only come from God. That also means it cannot be controlled or manipulated, right? Because if it could be, if it if it's true, if what I'm, just go with my logic here for a second. If the type of renewal I'm arguing for can only come from God and we could control and manipulate it, then that would mean that we could what? We could control God, right? Um, we can't. And that's why, so, that's why uh, I've been working on this series um, that we're going to go through for the next five weeks. And that's why I've titled it Longing for Renewal. That's why I didn't title it How to Be Renewed (laughs) or How to Guarantee Renewal or Five Steps to Ultimate uh, Renewal. Um, Your Best Renewal Now. Um, I haven't haven't talked to that. I specifically chose these words longing for because I want to thread that needle of declaring it and proclaiming it in faith that it can happen and that I believe God actually wants it to happen for us too. I really believe God wants it to happen for us, but we can't control it. And man, that is a hard balance to strike, but that's really where I want to start and what I want to focus on for these next five weeks. Um, so in this motion, uh, this notion of longing for renewal, I've been thinking a lot about a couple things. What practices can we engage in together? What types of things can we lean in together to engage in to cultivate a longing for renewal through our community? What, kind of, what would that look like? What practices would those be? But then also, what might renewal look like if it were to like, take root in us? What, what would our community potentially look like as a renewed, spiritually renewed community? And so these first two sermons today and the next week are on two practices, simple practices, worship and prayer. Um, we're going to focus on those today and next week. Um, and then the next three after that kind of mix practices and also the question of what could this look like um, in our community? Reconciliation, unity together. What does our life as a church look like? And then, out, and then out of that, how do we engage the world out of a renewed sense of renewal? So that's where we're going for the next five weeks. I'm really excited about this. It's something I've been thinking about a lot um, as we went through Acts. I think this was kind of formed in me and just, and just everything that we've been through as a church. Um, so I think this, hopefully this will be timely for us. Um, and so today we're going to be talking about worship. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, 
this is not, it's not exhaustive, right, all the disclaimers. This is not an exhaustive list of all the things we could have talked about that relate to renewal. We could have started in lots of different places even. Um, but I picked worship because, for a few reasons, I think that worship is something that all of us are doing all the time, actually. That's part of what I want to talk about this morning. I think we're all worshiping all the time. I think that's part of what it means to be human. So we're doing it all the time, but it's not something we ever actually stop and think about, at least not frequently. We don't really stop and think about what does it mean? Um, why do we engage in it? How is it shaping us? How is our worship shaping us? Um, and so I wanted to stop and consider it as kind of a starting point, because I really think, to kind of tip my hand to where I'm going this morning, I really think that as we properly worship God, we we might experience renewal. Out of that place, out of that kind of like base... Um, base of operation, so to speak. If everything is rooted in worship, proper worship of the proper God, um, we, I think we will experience renewal. So to do that, um, we're going to look at Psalm 96. Uh, so if you, have, if you have a text, go ahead and bring it up. Um, I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's, it's pretty short. I'm reading it out of the NIV translation. Um, and I'm, I want this to be our prayer. Usually I pray when I kind of get into this sermon. So if you want to read along with me, please feel free. If you would just like to to close your eyes and take this as a prayer. I'd invite you to do that as well. But let's, uh, let's just pray this psalm together and then we'll talk about it for a little bit. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. And he will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation Rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Amen. So as we talk about this psalm, um, I'm focusing, I want to focus on what I'm calling two two dimensions of worship. Two dimensions of worship is kind of the, the language I've been using as I've been thinking about this this week. Um, and the first one is ascribing glory. This word shows up multiple times in the psalm, ascribe. It's a word, um, it's used multiple times. Anytime a word is used multiple times in a close succession in scripture, it's something to pay attention to. But it's a word we don't use that often. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't use the word ascribe very often in my day-to-day conversations with people. Um, so I've been reflecting on this word quite a bit. Um, it means, to get at a definition, it, it kind of, it means to attribute to um, other, some other translations use recognize or Kate, the King, King James just says give, 
So it's to, to, to give credit, to attribute, to, to connect something to God is to ascribe, to ascribe glory specifically. And I want you to notice that this is a directive. This is something the psalmist is telling us to do. The psalmist is exhorting us to give something to God here, um, which implies we could choose not to, right? But the something is glory, is honor, and is majesty. And now consider this. I'm going to use a cultural example for this. We're looking at an ancient text from a totally different culture, a totally different part of the world. So I've been thinking about how does this connect to modern-day you know, North American culture. Um, and I think we ascribe glory a lot, actually, in our culture. We ascribe glory in a lot of ways. Just think about celebrities, right? This is almost too obvious. But have you ever been, has anyone here, just quick show of hands, has everyone, anyone here been in close proximity to a celebrity? Anyone? Yeah, a couple people have. Um, I had a close encounter with Tom Hanks, actually, which you could ask me about that sometime if you want. It's not really that interesting, but it did happen. Um, but if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever been in a room or kind of, and not just at like, a, I'm not talking like at a concert or an event, but just like if you run into someone, like if you've ever been around them, a celebrity in our culture, there is this magnetic kind of pull, right, of glory. I would use the word glory. I think there's, uh, one way to think about glory is weight. There's like a weightiness to a personality who is a, whether they're a politician or an actor or a musician or someone who's a celebrity in our culture, there's this glory kind of like magnetic pull towards them. At least that's what I've experienced. So there's something in our culture that attributes glory to the celebrity, right? And I think what we glorify and what we give honor to, it reveals something deep about what we value. And I think that celebrities get so much glory and honor in our culture today because, listen to this, I think, I really think this is true. There's a deep kind of cultural value that tells us that celebrity status is the culmination of all that is good and possible in our life, right? There's something that it's, it's, under the surface sometimes, many times. It's not always named, but there's this idea in the air that we breathe that to achieve celebrityhood is the culmination of the best you can expect in your life, right? I would actually go so far as to argue that celebrityhood in our culture equals salvation for a lot of people. Think about it. Celebrities, the idea, the idea is celebrities lack nothing. They lack for nothing. They have a claim they have popularity, they have material security, they have adoration, right? Culturally speaking, these are all the things that everyone is longing for, and therefore the people who have them are the ones who have, quote, I would argue, been, been saved, culturally speaking. It's the best you can hope for. It's where you've arrived, if you can get there. And so the people who have achieved this, we glorify them because they've gotten there, right? Is this making sense? This is something really deep in our culture that I think is important to name and to push against. Because I think this is extremely important. I, and, and we're going to get back to worship. <laughs> um, I think this is extremely important at root because, and hear this carefully, whatever you ascribe glory and honor to, whatever you give that sort of honor and glory to, that reveals what you depend on for your salvation. Whatever you glorify reveals what you depend on for salvation or what you believe can save you. So what you believe can save you will be what you worship. What you believe, this is, I think, so deep and so at the core of the concept of worship. 
whatever you believe has the power to save you will be what you worship. And I read this psalm and so many other psalms like it as the psalmist reminding us to recalibrate, redirect, put your sense of glory and majesty where, to, to the only place that can actually save you, to the only person that can actually save you. Don't give it to cultural celebrityhood. Don't give it to other things. Give it to God because God can actually save you. And yeah, I could give other examples other than celebrities. I mean, I think that a lot of people ascribe glory to career pursuits, to uh, kids and families turning out a certain way. Um, Of course, the size of your bank account, your retirement accounts. Um, A lot of people in our culture ascribe glory to individual self-actualization, right, of our identities. Um, A really huge one right now, people ascribe glory to political movements and political tribes, right? because I think a lot of people expect salvation from politics in a deep sense. All of these things, and many others besides, all of these things, I was just trying to think of obvious ones in our culture. A lot of these things become objects of our worship to the extent that we give glory to them, and we do that because we think they can save us. And listen, Scripture is very clear about this. Scripture calls this tendency, this tendency of humans creating something and then giving that something with the power to save us, idolatry, right? In the times the Psalms were written, they would literally build idols. Today, we build financial systems, political systems, whatever, celebrity systems. We build them, and then we give them the power to save us. We endow them with this false power, and then we worship them because we believe they have the power to save us, right? This is how it works. And Scripture is constantly warning us against idolatry. Only bow to the true God. It's right there at the top of the Ten Commandments. Don't. The psalmist calls them, the, uh, these other idols, the gods of the nations, right? The gods of the nations are idols. They are not to be feared. They are not to be revered. They are not to be given glory because they cannot save you. They cannot renew us in the theme of this morning. So I'm spending a lot of time here because this is crucial. A crucial aspect of our worship is simply recognizing who can actually save us. Just recognizing it. In the words of the psalmist, the one who can save us is the God who made everything, who made us, who made this place that we live in. So recognize that and then direct honor and glory in that direction, not to ourselves, not to the things we create. That is at the core of our worship. Thankfully, thankfully, God has demonstrated that God is very willing, not only willing, but desirous of saving us. God wants us to be saved out of love. And God has demonstrated, and this is, this is the next crucial thing. God has demonstrated God's willingness to save and renew us and redeem us. God has demonstrated that in very specific deeds and actions in history, which is the next dimension of our worship, which um, I'm calling declaring God's deeds. Actually, the psalmist calls it that. <laughs> um, so in verse 3, it says, declare his glory. Declare his marvelous deeds. It repeats this phrase a few times. So again, we get another prompt. If the first prompt is to ascribe glory, the second prompt is to declare the deeds of God. The psalmist is prompting the listener to to speak of God's deeds, speak of what God has done. And this is what I'm calling the second dimension, declaring God's deeds. So if ascribing glory and honor to God correctly requires uh, us to be aware of who God is, God is the one who truly, the only one who truly can save us, and therefore we give glory in that direction, then declaring God's deeds requires us to be aware of what God has done. 
right? If ascribing glory is be aware of who God is, then declaring God's deeds is, adds another layer to it. Be aware then of what God has done. And pausing to reflect on God's activity in our world, um, it's just so, man, I speak for myself, it's so easily crowded out. Like just pausing to reflect on what God has done in our lives, in history, in our world, that gets so pushed out, at least in my uh, fast-paced kind of, you know, our social media-drenched age. Um, to reflect on what God has done so as to be able to properly declare about God's deeds, that requires an intentionality intentionality to focus on what God has done. Ideally, this is an important part of what we do when we gather like this every Sunday morning. We sing songs together that remind us of what God has done. We read scriptures together that remind us of who God is and what God has done. These things are, we pray. These are all acts, in some sense, acts of declaring about God's deeds. And incidentally, as we get other, we're getting other ministries up and running soon, things like community groups and triads, my hope is that those can also be places of declaration, right? As you get in people's homes and spend time with each other, you can, I love, I would love to, those to be places of mutual declaring. Like, this is what God is doing in all of our lives together and seeing it and being aware of it and celebrating that. Um, um and so to bring, these, I, to bring these two dimensions together, I think that one way, this has been helpful for me, one way of understanding worship is acts of declaring God's deeds done in a posture of recognizing God as the only source of our salvation. Acts of declaring God's deeds in a posture of recognizing God as the source of our saving. This is, of course, not the only way to understand worship, but this is, I think, out of the psalm and out of the ways that I've been reflecting on it this week. I hope that as we, we as a community can lean into this together. And in light of all of this, this is where I want to I end kind of on this note. Of this definition, this understanding of worship, it does bring us back, or I want to bring us back to a specific deed of God in history, namely the cross and the resurrection. Because you might be listening to this and you might be thinking, okay, this all conceptually makes sense, but I don't feel like I have any deeds of God in my life that I can declare right now. And I understand that. One thing that I love about our faith is that regardless of where you are or what's happened to you recently or not happened or whatever, you can always declare the cross. (laughs) It, because it happened in a specific time, in a specific place in history, and it is a deed of God that is unshakable. Same with the resurrection. The cross and the empty tomb are deeds of God in history that do not change. And they can always be declared, and it's actually part of why we take communion every week, because we always are declaring it over and over and over. So the, the psalmist in 96, Psalm 96, the psalmist tells us to tremble before God, uses the word tremble multiple times, which also is striking to me if you think of that old hymn, um, Were You There?, when they crucified my Lord, it causes me to tremble. The psalmist tells us to tremble before God and recognize his, God's strength, God's glory, God's majesty, God's holiness. And I think as we focus on this ultimate, the, the ultimate deed of God on the cross, it brings, it, it brings me back to trembling. And it also leads me back to, if you were here last week, Ken preached a sermon really focusing on the cross. Because Christ and the cross must be at the center of our worship as Christians. The word Christ is right there in the name Christian. <laughs> it's, it's right at the center of everything. And I, I believe that it is in the face of this deed, this 
this majestic deed of God that is so ugly on the surface. It's an ugly thing on the surface, but it's actually beautiful and, and majestic. Because it's in the face of Christ's self-emptying love on the cross, in the face of that, the depths of that self-emptying, we tremble at the depths of God's love for us. And at the same time, the depths of what's wrong with the world. In the face of this self-emptying, self-abasing action, we tremble at how much God must love us to the extent that God is willing to go into that, the depths of what's wrong with our world culminating in this event. And then it's in the resurrection that we tremble at the might and majesty of God who has power even over death. And it's in the face of both the cross and the resurrection that we tremble at God's goodness and God's holiness. And we recognize as God, God is the only judge who could rightly sort out what's wrong on the world. So the cross and the empty tomb should indeed cause us to tremble. They should cause us to declare our longing for God's power and God's justice to be displayed fully in our world. Or in short, the cross and the empty tomb should cause us to worship. To, to give glory and honor to the God who is outside of us, who can save us and longs to save us. So to loop back to what I said at the beginning, as I said, there's no way to control or manipulate God into renewing us. If you have any notion of that, just <laughs> name it and banish it. Um, any, any, any ideas of manipulating God into doing something for us is counter to the entirety of Christian thinking about God and salvation. Anytime the church is straight into that error, it has been corrected. That's a big part of what the, we know as the Protestant Reformation was, was addressing this. But nevertheless, this is the balance, right? This is where I started with this balance, that we cannot control God, and we shouldn't expect to control God. We should not expect that, oh, well, if we just nail this worship thing, then we'll, then we'll be good. <laughs> then we'll get renewed. We should not expect that. But, but at the same time, I do believe that true and proper worship of the one God, the living God, true and proper worship is one way through which God does renew and work in us. As we properly declare God's deeds and ascribe glory and honor to God, simply because God is the source of our salvation and worthy of our worship, I believe in faith, in hope, I believe we will see renewal in surprising ways, I think in our lives and in our community. So before we take communion, we're going to take communion in a moment. And actually, Dan, if you could come up and play some music. I want to I reflect just for a minute. I want to prompt some reflection before we um, actually take communion. So I want to ask you just two questions that go with the two dimensions of worship. So I want you to consider... And if you want, if it helps you to write, maybe write on the back of your order of service or something, um, or just or just sit and, and think. But I want you to consider what do you ascribe glory to in your life? What are those? I listed a bunch of examples. What are those things outside of God that are not of God? Things that are of the world, so to speak. What are you tempted to give glory to? What in the language I used earlier, what do you think will save you? 
what are you tempted to believe will save you that is not God? Just take a moment. If something has surfaced for you, I would, I would encourage you, invite you to bring it to someone else in your life. A, a spouse, a friend, um, a housemate. This is, you know, something came up for you in a convicting way. I, I repeat this a lot, but I really believe this. Don't don't take that in, in any self-condemnation. Take it actually as a gracious invitation. If something came up for you, it could be God's Spirit bringing something up so that you can turn back to God, which is grace. And the second question I want to ask you is to consider God's deeds. What's something God has done, small or large, dramatic or mundane? What's something God has done in your life, in your family, in this past season? I think I'd like to invite, um, you can keep playing, Dan. Um, it's okay if no one takes me up on this. Um, I'd like to invite some public declaration, actually. Um, we have some time, too. No pressure at all. If you're not comfortable doing this, it's totally fine. But I would love um, if anyone wants to share something that came up for you about a, a deed of God in your life or in your family. Um, I think that our community hasn't spent a lot of time hearing directly from each other on these things recently. And um, if anyone feels comfortable doing so, I'd love for you to stand up and just say what God has done. I'll just wait a few minutes. Stacy, go ahead. <laughs> it was great that you asked us to share because I was thinking, I agree, like it's such a great thing to hear from each other and what's happening. And so I, I wanted to share what I was convicted with when mm, you yeah. did that. Um, I have a couple, a lot of you know me, but I have a couple health things that will be with me for the rest of my life that I wish weren't there. Mm. And I would say that I would ascribe glory to being free of those, mm. um, which would be amazing. But, like, really next in line, I have this strong awareness that despite that, that God is glorified in my life all the time. Mm. And I was sharing with Finn on the way here um, that a year ago, Ethan and I were doing this funny thing where, like, where people will post, like, that they're hiking all the 4,000-footers in New England. We, like, set on a quest to hike the 1,000-footers, and <laughs> we, were, we were killing it and fi <laughs> finding them and doing them. But the last two weeks, and this is not to brag and draw any attention to myself, but I, I climbed 2,000, two 4,000-footers two weeks in a row, wow. and... Um, more than anything, I'm just so thankful that, like, even despite what I have, the health stuff I have to live with, that God can work in that and yeah. bring renewal and bring healing um, and maybe living in a space where I just have to be humbled and, and accept what I have. I get these other opportunities to see God working. So I just oh, wanted to share that. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. You don't have to come up and use the mic. <laughs> 
Do you want to share anything? Thank you. It's good to hear these things. Um, and I want to I want to emphasize. I, I said this earlier too. If you don't feel like you had some some deed of God to share in your life, um, I've definitely had seasons like that. But regardless, you can still, I think, join others in worship of hearing hearing what God is doing through all of us, right? Um, so I hope that that was edifying and encouraging to you to hear. And I would encourage us as a community as we start to get into these community groups and things like that, like practice this together. I mean, this is worship. Worship is beyond just singing a couple songs on Sunday morning, although that is a part of it. But I think to the extent that we hear and celebrate these deeds of God in our lives and properly relocate glory back to God as the one who rightly can save us, that is our worship. Um, and so we're going to, um, Dan, you've been a good sport. You've been playing for a really long time. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, we're going to transition now to taking communion together. Um, and then we'll sing one more song together after that. And I would, um, in the spirit of everything that I've said, I would really in- encourage you, invite you to treat both of these as acts of worship. Um, in the sense that as we take communion and, um, I don't know if two people, maybe Danny and one other person on the LT could come up. Um, Sean, Sean, Danny, cool. Thank you. Um, as they start handing these things uh, around, these cups with the juice and the, and the wafer in them, um, I would encourage you to think of this as an act of declaration because this little wafer, this juice, are physical signs, physical, um, tangible things that point to the broken body and the spilled blood of Christ. And this is an act. We do it together. We do it corporately um, as an act of declaring to each other what we believe God has done in history to launch God's kingdom and God's salvation. It's a specific act, a specific moment. Um, So consider this an act of declaration, even as we take it together. And similarly, as we sing uh, the last song, is your love, O Lord, we sing this song about God's love. Consider that an act of declaration as we all uh, bring our voices together to speak of God's love for us and and traits of God. Um, So I'll wait until everyone gets a cup, and then I'll guide you through taking them together. The last night Jesus was with his disciples, he um, he broke bread and handed it to them. He blessed the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he poured wine and gave it to his disciples and said, this is the blood of the new covenant spilled for you. I invite you now to open the top of your cup and take out the wafer, dip it into the juice, and eat it just as... Jesus' disciples ate on that night with him, the bread and the wine. Pray with me, and then we'll sing one more song together. Lord, we take in uh, this wafer and this juice as an act of declaring your marvelous deed upon the cross and the empty tomb three days later, Lord. Lord, we do pray for renewal. I pray for true worship to mark us as your people. And we ask you to renew us. Renew us as a community. Renew us as a family. Restore us to the joy of your salvation. I pray this knowing that you are 
the true and living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the only one from whom true salvation can come. We love you, Lord. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen.